you would think that when you would talk to most anybody with a near-death experience and take it for what it is, but like you said, you can see how some people, perhaps even in our religion and others, but primarily in our religion, that we focus so much on life after death and where we came from and where we're going, that they may take that experience over doctrine or over what the prophet says or over other things, and that's fairly dangerous. Well, and that was exactly the reason why we addressed it the way we did. And still to this day, we have that problem. People take experiences as the doctrine as opposed to the scriptures or official prophetic statements. Welcome to LDS Perspectives Podcast, where we explore aspects of LDS doctrine, history, and culture. Digging deeper and having a whole lot of fun. Learning about things that affect our lives and our faith. We are everyday Mormons sharing extraordinary conversations. Hello, my name is Blake Dalton, and thank you for joining us here on LDS Perspectives Podcast. Today, I am extremely honored to be with Brent L. Topp, who is a professor at BYU, currently serving as the Dean of Religious Education Department. How long have you been teaching at BYU? I'm starting my 30th year in religious education. I was in the church educational system 10 years prior to that, but I have completed 29 years as a full-time faculty member in the College of Religious Education at BYU. So if I do my math right, you've been teaching here since you were 20. <laughs> Actually, before I was born. Oh, okay, okay good. Yeah. You're not just a professor and teacher, though you do a great job of that. You've done a lot of writing and accomplished speaker. You've spoken at Education Week. And some of my favorite books that you've written are on LDS Doctrine. If you Google your name, there's tons of books. LDS Doctrine, LDS Beliefs, At the Garden Tomb. One that I'm having my children read right now is that you wrote with your wife, Spiritual Identity Theft. I just love that. Uh, Thank but you. One of the main topics I want to talk about is some of the ones that you've written on near-death experiences and life after death. You've written a bunch about that. What is it about that topic that inspires you to spend so much time researching? I think the experience that started uh, my research and writing on it was Back in the late 1970s, early 1980s, Raymond Moody had published a book called Life After Life. Raymond Moody got a lot of national and international attention and actually came to Salt Lake to give a lecture and was promoting his book on a book tour. And a lot of people called into KSL and were uh, saying, are you familiar with Latter-day Saint doctrine? And interestingly, Dr. Moody had said that it was LDS experiencers that had also triggered him as a medical doctor on near-death experiences. And so he knew there was something unique about Latter-day Saint theology with regards to afterlife. When I heard that on the radio, it immediately said to me that there are people out there that know that Latter-day Saints have some unique and important doctrines with regards to life after life. And so at that time, I went to my colleague, Dr. Robert Millett, and said, you know, we ought to write a book. We ought to do something that approaches the life after death from a doctrinal standpoint. And yet at that time, it was particularly popular to have published near-death experiences both in the church and out of the church. It was also during this time, a little bit later, that a very popular book within Latter-day Saint literature 
Betty Eadie's Embraced by the Light was being quoted in gospel doctrine classes and in lessons. I wanted to be able to address many of the questions and controversies that were raised by the near-death experience literature, but do it in the context of doctrine, not in the context of just the experiences. And so that's what triggered it, was really looking at it from a Latter-day Saint doctrinal standpoint. What do we know? What do we not know? And then looking at the experiences and judging it against or comparing it to what we would have as established doctrine in the church on the subject. When you start looking into that and as you started that process, was it difficult to find things that kind of blended with what you were thinking to write about? That's a good question. And again, my purpose in writing the book was to focus on the doctrine, not on the experiences. And so there were very many popular books within Mormondom that were collections of stories of people's near-death experiences, including some of the more popular ones from the 19th century and early 20th century. And it was very, very popular in the church at that time. But we wanted to focus on non-Latter-day Saint experiences because there wouldn't be as much baggage attached to that. Too often, and we we saw that with Betty Eadie and other LDS books, is that it goes from just describing the experience to interpreting what it means doctrinally. And we wanted to avoid that. And so our book, Glimpses Beyond Death's Door, was focused primarily on what non-Latter-day Saints have experienced and how does that jive or coincide or complement what Latter-day Saint scriptures and Latter-day Saint prophetic teachings declare. That's an interesting way to think about it. You would think that when you would talk to most anybody with a near-death experience and take it for what it is, but like you said, you can see how some people, perhaps even in our religion and others, but primarily in our religion, that we focus so much on life after death and where we came from and where we're going, that they may take that experience over doctrine or over what the prophet says or over other things, and that's fairly dangerous. Well, and that was exactly the reason why we addressed it the way we did. And still to this day, we have that problem. People take experiences as the doctrine as opposed to the scriptures or official prophetic statements. Now, you asked me earlier, is, was it hard to find material? Yes and no. You can find many, many near-death experiences, both in LDS literature and non-LDS literature. What became a little harder was to find what we would characterize as LDS doctrine. And that raises the important question as to what is doctrine, because Jedediah M. Grant, Heber J. Grant's father, had had a a remarkable and famous near-death experience that was quoted a great deal in church circles and church publications. He was a member of the First Presidency when he had it. Does that constitute doctrine? That becomes a very important question. And so in our book, I tried to uh, identify that we're using sources that may be extra-scriptural, may be prophetic in that they come from people with elder in front of their names, but may not be the official doctrine of the church. It feels good. It tastes good. I think in many cases they are, as what the prophet Joseph declared, precious morsels from heaven, but it may not be published in correlated manuals today, but I think we can still say this is how Latter-day Saints view and teach 
the doctrine of the afterlife. We can do that. We can say a lot of things. You hear a lot of people, well, my bishop said, or mm-hmm. my stake president said, or I know a patriarch who said this, and we'll say, okay, then that's doctrine because my patriarch is extra spiritual. I agree with you. We do have to be careful with some of that. When you look at all the different people that you've interviewed, what are some of the similarities you saw that made it striking that kind of, like you said, it looks good, it tastes good? What, what are some similarities you found in the, all these experiences that kind of lended to the writing in your books and jived with LDS doctrine? One of the things that really jumped out at me were the core elements that are found in near-death experiences as identified by the psychological, medical community, as well as the near-death experience uh, scientific and research community. The core elements they identified in these experiences coincide with Latter-day Saint doctrine with regards to the location of the spirit world, some of the descriptions of spirit bodies, the nature of a spirit, of what, what a spirit is like. One doctrine in particular that really jumped out at me was the principle of the life review. We always hear people talk about my life passed in front of my eyes, or people describing their life review. And while we would say, well, there isn't any LDS doctrine that says that you have your whole life pass in front of your eyes, but when you start putting pieces together, we really do have that doctrine. Alma talks about the law of restoration, and that in the context of having things brought back as a bright recollection to us, that jumped out at me. So there were things that you find in the scriptures that don't explicitly say this is referring to near-death experiences or death and the spirit world but you can connect the dots and say, oh, that's what this is referring to. The principle of love, the being of light, and the emanation of love clearly has a strong affinity within Mormonism. Absolutely. When you were talking about the uh, location of the spirit world and some of those things, now, I believe it was Brigham Young said, the spirit world is here on earth with us. Is that primarily what you've heard or what they kind of confer? Yeah, I think that you see that uh, quite often, that people are surprised that it's not off in outer space somewhere. They speak of it uh, as a dimension. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, that almost sounds, you know, Star (laughs) Trek-y. But the idea is that it is a dimension and people are seeing their own physical body and are surprised by it. They see surroundings that they're familiar with. Brigham Young clearly taught it. Elder Orson Pratt also talked great deal in the 19th century that there was a spiritual realm and a temporal or physical realm. Even the notion that the earth has a spirit, and I have no idea how that works. The early brethren, the 19th century prophet seers and revelators, speculated a great deal about those kinds of things. And so the idea that the spirit is right here on this earth in some other dimension is not foreign to people that experience a near-death experience. That's interesting. So like so many of the people that you've talked to or that you've read their experiences and things like that, they do they talk about seeing their family, being with their family or observing their family, so to speak, in, the, in, in a spirit sense? Yes, that's one of what they call the core element of a near-death experience yeah. is the encountering deceased loved ones, friends, family. That's very, very common. And I think that, again, is something that Latter-day Saints are drawn to. One of the most uh, recent uh, near-death experiences that has received a lot of attention, both nationally and internationally, was uh, a, one called Proof of Heaven by Dr. Aben Alexander. 
gender. His is really quite remarkable because he was introduced in the spirit world to a, a young woman that he felt this connection to and thought he knew, but didn't realize till after the fact when family members send a picture that this was a sister that he had never known in life. There are a lot of those kinds of things that resonate to us as Latter-day Saints with regards to family and the family relationships and the connections and the associations. We need to understand that. We need to know that our family is still close and they still Mm -hmm. care about us. In fact, I think those two doctrines really kind of go hand in hand and are among the most comforting of doctrines that we have. To think that the spirit world is here and that our loved ones are not far from us. The prophet Joseph Smith taught that the spirits are not far from us and they know our thoughts and feelings at times. I think that becomes really comforting to people to recognize that when they, quote, lose someone, that in some ways it's like they're in another room, not in some faraway planet. And I think that is a a really unique doctrine that helps us to know that the interaction between the spirit realm and the earthly realm is very real and is going on all the time around us. We see that with people's near-death experiences. They Often the common theme that comes up is that their work isn't done and they have to go back. That, again, jives with this, is that there is a a mission that we're performing, that there is a purpose to our life and our existence. Now, do we take it doctrine that there is an exact appointed time of death? And I don't think we can make that statement, but I think you can see elements like that ring true to us and that we see in our beliefs. In your research... Why do people come back when they have a near-death experience? So they go and they see things and then they come back. Is their time not ready one of the main things or are there other reasons as well? That is a reason that is reported quite Mm -hmm. often. Some people report that they're given a choice, but often they are not given a choice. But most often is it never comes up. It is never discussed. And so I don't know exactly why people have near-death experiences. Sometimes they have near-death experiences that are not directly related to trauma or near-death events, and we might call those visions or some form of revelation, a dream. But often there are those that have had it, whether it's an accident or an illness or something that brings them to that point of death. Interestingly, many years ago, about 20 years ago, we taught on the campus of BYU a interdisciplinary honors colloquium on the near-death experience. And I, as the religion professor, taught it from the theological doctrinal standpoint. And then one of my colleagues in the biology department, who is a medical doctor and a brain researcher taught it, and we taught together on what are the the biological implications, what are the spiritual implications. What was very, very interesting was many of the critics of near-death experiences say that it was just the dying brain, it's oxygen deprivation, that you can simulate these kinds of experiences. We had a world-renowned psychologist come and talk to say it cannot be a hallucination, it cannot just be oxygen deprivation, because even though those things may produce certain phenomena that are similar of near-death experiences, a person that has a 
near-death experience is so spiritually transformed by the experience that it cannot be discounted as something just as a drug interaction. And interestingly, Raymond Moody was on campus just a couple of years ago, and one of his new endeavors, which I, I don't fully understand, but one of the things that Dr. Moody was trying to do is because these near-death experiences, when people encounter the light the divine, whatever they want to call it, their lives are so dramatically transformed that he is now trying to find a way to replicate that. And, you know, remember the old Hollywood movie many years ago, Flatliners? You know, I certainly don't recommend that, but I think that says something that there is something spiritual going on, not just biological or psychological. And that kind of lends to the comment, when the Holy Ghost communicates with us through our spirits, it's much more powerful than me just bearing my testimony or telling you it's a spirit on the spirit communicating with the spirit. Mm-hmm. So that's that's an interesting thing, interesting concept. In fact, that's one of the chapters that we deal with is on uh, communication. And that was something that was so similar to Latter-day Saint doctrine and that many Latter-day Saints do not know what the early brethren taught about this. But it is Doctrine and Covenant section 8 that you just identified where he says, I, I will tell you in your mind and your heart, and that this is the spirit of revelation. In, in Doctrine and Covenant section 8, it talks about the spirit of revelation. Doctrine and Covenant section 9, it talks about you'd study it out in your mind, not cause the burning in your bosom. Parley P. Pratt and Orson Pratt were among the earliest that taught about spiritual communication. And talking, is it is it the ears? Is it the mouth? Is it the auditory nerves? Is it the vocal box that causes us to communicate in this life and in this fallen condition? The answer is yes. But they talked that often in spirit domain, it is spirit-to-spirit communication. We might even think of it as telepathy, if you will. There is many teachings of the early brethren on this subject that coincide with those that say, I was surprised that we didn't talk with our mouths. Now, I think it's important that I should say that everybody's perspective is different because they have to have some way to translate or interpret their experience. While a person may report their experience that they were talking to their long-deceased grandfather, and in their mind they're thinking they're talking mouth to ear, Mm -hmm. um, but that isn't necessarily what actually occurs. It may be an interpretation of trying to make sense to what we're experiencing. So you'll see lots of different things. So for example, uh, we ran into experiences where people saw babies in the spirit world. Well, we know doctrinally that spirits are reared to maturity before they come to earth. And so why would there be babies in the spirit world? Well, I'm not sure there were babies in the spirit world, but it was given to that person to be able to see and comprehend that this is what was going on. And so I think that's one of the dangers of trying to establish doctrine by an experience. Yeah. Along with communication, like you said, I wonder... As long as we can talk with our hands, you know, we can. We, we, we should be able to communicate. Well, that's why I don't communicate well in podcasts. <laughs> yeah, my my wife would say if she, if she tied my hands up, I would never speak. You know, so so yeah. As long as we can talk with our minds and hands. If someone was to ask me, and I don't know why they would, but if someone said, Blake, where do I go to find more information on near death experiences, credible sources, I would say the scriptures and your books. Where would you tell someone to go? 
Well, of course I would say my books. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Even when you say the scriptures, th- there is certainly a hierarchy of doctrine. Mm-hmm. And if you want to understand what the doctrine of the spirit world, what Latter-day Saint doctrine is, of course we're going to go to the scriptures, we're going to go to the teachings of the prophets and apostles, and of course there are those correlated doctrinal statements that we have. If you want to just know the experiences, there are many, many experiences out there, both LDS and non-LDS. But for me, my style and what I felt was important to me and my wife, Wendy, as we wrote Beyond Death's Door, was that we were more interested in the doctrine than the experience. And so that's what we've tried to do in our book. So if somebody comes to me and says, what do you think of visions of glory, which I get all the time, okay, or other similar books, I, I really try to avoid that question altogether because it doesn't really matter to me what the experience is. It's what do the scriptures teach? What is the doctrine on this subject? And so I want to go to the scriptures. I want to go to the words of the prophets. And then the other things, the experiences and other people's insights, maybe my own perspective on some things, is what I call the apocrypha principle, that when the prophet Joseph Smith was translating the Bible, and he gets to the Apocrypha in his Catholic Bible there, do we, do we translate this? And he goes to the Lord in section 91, and the, and the Lord says to him, you don't need to translate it. There are things in it that are true, and there are things in it that are false, and some things are the interpolations of man. And sometimes we interpret that as interpretations, but the word literally means insertions. Mm-hmm. And he says, you can benefit from it, but there are things that are true and there are things that are false. You've got to have the spirit to know. And I think that same principle as you study the afterlife or the premortal life, things that you have to do some deductive reasoning there, you have to recognize the only thing that's authoritative are the scriptures and the specific words of the prophets that deal with it. The other things are what we might call apocrypha. And there are great kernels of truth in it and great things that can bless us, but there are also some things that are false, and we just need to recognize that when we go in, that not everything that is in in a book or a person's experience is true or doctrinal, and we've got to be guided and directed by the Holy Spirit to be able to make those judgments. Yeah, that's good advice. Do you think that the belief of life after death is growing or is it dwindling amongst the world? That's a very good question, and the answer is very interesting and obvious. It is growing monumentally. And let let me give you an example of this. When Bob Millett and I first started researching on life after death, we went to an international conference of the International Association of Near Death Studies. It was so interesting. When we went to this conference, we didn't know what to expect. This was the first time that I think Mormon professors and clearly Brigham Young University had been involved in this conference. As we went to that, we were expecting to see people with tinfoil hats or, <laughs> uh, or uh, you know, uh, UFO chasers or things like that. But there were very serious researchers and many, many very faithful, devout experiencers. And yet most of the near-death experiencers took a lot of grief from religious leaders of their various faith traditions because it was considered so fringe. 
And yet they knew that Latter-day Saints had something important to say, and they were peppering us with questions. Interestingly, virtually all of the most recent motion pictures, and there have been many in the last decade that have come out, but virtually all of them have come from evangelical Christian circles. And when I first started my research on this, evangelical Christians, and and they still do in some circles, will say near-death experiences are just either figments of the imagination or devil's hallucinations or deceptions. Isn't it interesting that now these movies that are coming that are very, very popular are coming out of Christian circles? I found it fascinating that about a year ago on Fox News, there was a pastor being interviewed on one of their main programs about a new book about near-death experiences and how to interpret them in a Christian context that a generation ago you would never, ever have. What we're seeing is people are having these experiences and other faith traditions, Christian traditions, that have not had a tradition of believing in it or have repudiated them in the past are having to deal with it. How do we deal with this in the paradigm of heaven? And so you you remember the movie uh, Heaven is for Real, if I remember right. Uh, My grandchildren hated watching that video with me because I would pause it every so often and say, now you need to understand, here's why this pastor is having a struggle with this, is because what his son had experienced and what he was feeling was with at odds with some of his own parishioners and with some of his own teachings. So he was having to come to grips with how can I put this in the context of Christ and resurrection and heaven, and it, I think it's been really good. It's caused the Christian world to grapple with this because it cannot be easily dismissed as a figment of our imagination or a satanic deception. It is interesting, and, I, and I've seen those movies, and it always seems like somebody like Oprah or somebody's doing a talk show about it, and everybody's trying to figure out what is yeah. this? Is this real? Well, I think if you've been on Oprah, it's absolutely real. <laughs> Oprah is the validation of all truth, <laughs> yes. I think. That's what some people think, yeah. I really appreciate being able to talk with you today, and I know you are extremely busy. One question I want to ask you is, and this might be kind of a life after death discussion, obviously, but if you could meet anyone from the scriptures, excluding Joseph Smith and the Savior, and we have to exclude those because if you don't say them, people think, you know, you don't have a testimony. Who would you want to meet and why? Oh, good question. Uh, that's assuming that I will be in a place where I can meet them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've often joked that uh, if you get in the spirit world and they're doing a lot of preaching to you, that's not <laughs> a good sign, but I, I, that's not true doctrinally. <laughs> I think I would probably say the Apostle Peter. And the reason why I'd say the Apostle Peter is because Peter was passionate and even did and said dumb things, but he was zealous in his testimony of Jesus. And I can relate to his fallibility and I can relate to his zeal. I certainly haven't experienced those kinds of things that he's done. I've done dumb things. I've been impetuous like Peter. I've said things that I wish I could reel back in like Peter did a time or two. I would love to talk to Peter about his witness and, uh, and his love for the Savior. Beautiful. 
Um, there's probably so much more that we could talk about on this subject. There is a lot. I encourage anybody who's interested more to look into some of these books, like What's on the Other Side and... A glim- beyond, uh, Glimpses Beyond Death's Door. Beautiful books. Glimpses Beyond Death's Door is a little more academic, has a lot of non-Latter-day Saint experiences. What's on the Other Side is a little more devotional, focused more on Latter-day Saint, giving comfort and perspective. Great. Thank you very much. Here's what's coming up on the next episode of the LDS Perspectives podcast. As I saw the work that the Joseph Smith Papers was uh, set out to do, the vision they had of how they could really bring Joseph Smith and his history beyond just the interest of, of those who like Mormon history, but also who want to see him as an important figure in 19th century America. Yeah, so a broader application of who he was in the in the narrative of U.S. history instead of just Mormon history. Absolutely. Mormons will better understand their own religion if they have a deeper understanding of American history. And Americans will better understand their past if they understand uh, the smaller aspect of the Mormon role. LDS Perspectives Podcast is not affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the guest and podcaster alone An LDS Perspectives podcast and its parent organization may or may not agree with them. While the ideas presented may vary from traditional understandings or teachings, they in no way reflect criticism of LDS church leaders, policies, or practices.